There'll be food and drink and ghosts. And perhaps even a few murders. You're all invited. Welcome to Fear Feasts. I'm Ali. I'm Vanessa. And we are your hosts. Hi, Ali. Hi, Vanessa. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Are you warming up over in London or is it still freezing? It's freezing and um, suddenly it just, the weather snapped again. I don't know what happened, but yeah. I love cold weather and I love yeah. watching ghost films. You're a, and you're, a, you're a true goth girl. You love you love the cold weather so you can wear your black and your, I see your nails exactly. are painted black, which I, I appreciate. Lovely. I appreciate that. Yeah, you get yeah, hard to be, it's hard to be a goth in the summer, huh? You can't run around in your black and people see you wearing black eyeshadow and black fingernail polish and they're like what is wrong with this person it's summer i yeah. do have a black i have a black swimming costume so i try my best nice very nice i have one too <laughs> i hope your week was paranormal how's it going it was very paranormal uh so today's episode ali and i are going to focus on two complementary pieces of horror media we are going to talk about the uh very terrifying, in my opinion, found footage movie, Paranormal Activity. And then we are going to talk about a book that I think is a sort of a companion piece to it. It's called The Last Days of Jack Sparks by the author Jason Arnop. So I'm, I'm personally very excited to talk about both of these. I, uh, I, I think we should just jump right in and, and let's, talk, let's talk paranormal. I think we should. Um, and just to say, there will be massive spoilers. Yes. But you have had 16 years to watch this movie. I can't believe it's been 16 years already. It Has came it out in really? 2007. 2007. Oh my God. Um, my God. Actually, I wasn't in. I was not in the UK at the time. I was in Italy, and I watched my the first time I watched this film. I was in Italy, um, so uh, yes, I remember kind of uh-huh. some clues, interesting topical <laughs> phrases. They oh, will yeah. be my reference point. Will be in Italian. Um, oh, that's good. So, well, I, I think if anybody who's listening to this podcast listens to my other podcast, Sharing the Flavor, they will know of my great love for people speaking Italian. So please feel free to break into interpretive Italian at any point during this episode. <laughs> I would I would love that personally. So uh, why, don't you take, why don't you take us through, if you want to give a synopsis of the movie, since I know that yeah, uh, you're familiar with I'll, I'll just I'll keep it quite simple to begin with and just say that um, Katie and Mika are our two main characters and soon after moving into a suburban home they become increasingly disturbed by what appears to be a supernatural presence so when I was in Italy and I watched this at the cinema for the first time there's one thing about kind of Italian actors and dubbing they all have the same it's like three people working for for Italian TV the same voices for every single thing for adverts for soap operas for the news um, the same voices so if they're being dubbed or they're being translated and um, Katie says something really creepy she says c'è qualcosa qui dentro sento il suo respiro addosso which means there's something in here I can feel its breath on me mm-hmm. and I will always remember those words in Italian and then I watched it many times again in English and I just couldn't stop laughing at that Italian. So just because it's the same voice that also speaks the words of, I don't know, 
other characters in other films, but it's yeah. like the same same voices. I don't know. If it, it's it almost it, it kind of it kind of takes a little bit away from the from the fear factor. It does. It makes it a bit comical. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, so that was my introduction to paranormal activity, mm-hmm. and it is a mock documentary, which I always find terrifying because it starts out, and we all know it isn't real, but still, when it's presented like that, and there's that kind of writing on the on the first on your screen it just it just seems so realistic and mm-hmm. um it really scares me for some reason it's like in the style of the Blair Witch Project as well oh um, well the, and then the Blair Witch Project you know we're gonna have to get into that one at some point because that's a yeah. that's a true favorite of mine uh I loved Paranormal Activity because I have a th- I have a thing for found footage films it's a because it's because it's true you don't know if it's true or not but I I also think that this one was done right at a really good time in 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 the 2000s because it was before you know we're living completely in the social media age now you know if we're not if you're not on twitter or tiktok or anything else you're you're not connected basically and particularly with with apps like tiktok uh which is such a huge thing now you can imagine what that movie would have been like had it been filmed now, probably there's something definitely tying in with, with uploading videos to TikTok. I thought it was a, I thought it was done very well. Uh, I'm very susceptible to jump scares. So I love, I love the jump scares in that movie. I thought it was fantastic. Uh, it was an interesting movie because I, as, as you and I have talked about before <clears throat> in terms of horror, it's on the surface, a horror film, you scratch the surface and it's about so many other things it's about dysfunctional relationships between lovers between family it's be it's about just this insidiousness of wanting to live our lives online and and document every little thing that happens to us and it's also about this this it, it i mean it's a classic fable good versus evil so you can watch this film on many levels and Having watched it again for the first time in probably 10 years, I was actually struck by the amount of food scenes and food references in the book. Or the book. See, I'm, I'm the book person. I'm the book person for <laughs> sure. I'm a book nerd. Anyway, sorry about that. The movie uh, and it, those, those, those references, those food scenes, I think are very strategically placed because they sort of function as these little snippets of normalcy. Uh, in between the chaos what did what did you think about just what yeah so going back to the to kind of when we first start when I was looking up what people thought about the film uh, or some reviews I could tell that it always had kind of the same basic couple of lines so we watch a young couple set up a video camera in an attempt to discover what is going on or something along those lines but Mm -hmm. I find that somewhat inaccurate because I think in this film, the male protagonist, Mika, takes the initiative and he carries quite a big video camera around with him all the time. And it's not something that they both decide to do. It's something that he decides to do. So I found that quite interesting just initially. It's kind of a bit of a contrast with what, um, I don't know, the articles and reviews were saying. And I found his presence quite intrusive, just like the video camera is, because he starts off by pestering Katie, uh-huh. um, his girlfriend, who is the person that the demon has attached itself to, to a point where you are actually hoping that this guy will die fairly soon, or you might kill him yourself. He is really annoying. So you're right; it is a for, it is a commentary on their relationship and on intrusion an intrusion of forms of media in our lives before a time where social media was actually dominant. So that's really 
like it's really um, eye-opening. We are going to capture the ghosts on camera, okay? And then if we do, uh -huh. then we can get all the parapsychologists and weirdos in the country to come and check out the house for us, all right? And we'll probably make a, a bunch of cash. And documenting everything, um, it's nearly as if when you don't document it, that thing hasn't happened. It, it's so, right. And we'll go into that as well, because there's a parallel here with the book that we'll be looking at afterwards with Jack mm -hmm. Sparks. So where the spooky ghost video of the girl suddenly appears in his inbox and then disappears. Like you don't have any control. Once you put something out into the world of social media, it's no longer yours really. To, it's up for interpretation um, from the other side. So, mm -hmm. um I was just going to say that's true of any sort of media. If you think about it, though, I mean, we're yeah. so inoculated in, in this age of social media. We're so accustomed to taking pictures of our food and recording these different moments of our lives. Um, back when this movie came out, that was not as normal as it was, as as, 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 as accepted as it is today. And I think that's mm -hmm. why the movie was so powerful. Um, I, I think it has probably not aged quite as well as it as it could have because of that you watch it now and you you think to yourself oh well that or this or that mm. um but it's still a genuinely terrifying movie i remember the first time i saw it it was the, it was the year that it came out so you said 2007 well yeah and i watched it, it at the movie yeah. i watched it at the theater with my friend uh, jj who both of us were scared uh, scared the hell out of both of us. I remember we went back to his house afterward and uh, we were drinking vodka in his living room and I remember he was like, I'm afraid to go to bed. <laughs> it's like, I know, I know. That is so weird because in Italy, people were laughing in the cinema. They thought it was ridiculous. They were not scared at all. So that well, is a big difference in that reaction. You and you it Italians might... must have nerves of steel because that movie, <laughs> it doesn't scare me now. But it terrified me at the time because I had not ever seen anything. I did. I was scared and I still yeah, find it too. scary. And I, if I think about some moments in the film, I still find it scary. There's no gore or bloodshed, but there is this invisible malevolence. And maybe it's a, a commentary also on what this type of documenting can do to us. So um, it's kind of of this this bit at the beginning where she says, I actually have invited a psychic round. And the psychic sits down and says, look, it's going to feed off your reaction. Mm -hmm. um, and it is one hungry demon. So the fact that they are recording all the sounds and all um, the things that happen, as well as experiencing as, you know, in first person, those things, and then rewatching what happens, they are discussing those things and taking action based on those happenings. It's actually increasing the power that this entity has. And that's the same, a little bit of, you know, any recording or social media mm -hmm. Um, post or anything that you put out power. there it gains power it, with the, the more you watch it or the more you listen to it yes exactly and it yeah. acquires different meanings and different layers of meaning so uh, I mean obviously I don't know if any of this was voluntary but um, so yeah so that's uh, that's a good difference because in Italy I remember very very clearly that there was a lot of laughter there was certainly no um, no kind of yeah fear 
mm-hmm. as far as I could hear, which was different from when I watched The Ring there, which actually people were absolutely terrified. So oh, that movie is scary as hell. Oh, my God. As well, isn't it? Yeah. When she comes out of the well and then comes mm. through the TV. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. I found that paranormal activity just as scary as The Ring. So I would I don't know so why there I. was such a big difference. Yeah. yeah. To this day, uh, every time I talk to my friend Jay Jakes, he lives in, uh, he lives in Virginia now. So we'll chat on the phone once in a while. And we still talk about it. He says, yeah, he said, to this day, he said, he said, that movie still scares the hell out of me. I'm like, I know, dude. He, I remember he called me a couple of days after we had seen the movie. And he said, dude, I got to tell you. He said, I was in my, I was trying to go to sleep. He said, and the neighbor's uh, outside motion light went on. And he said, and I thought it was the a light going on down the hall, like in the movie. And he said, it scared the shit out of me. I was like, I know. Was, I quit, I quit sleeping with my foot outside of the sheets. After I saw paranormal activity, I've done that my whole entire life. I don't do it anymore. I, oh, what did he say? The, I think the director, um, yeah, Pelly said something like, with Blair Witch Project, you had, you know, you were scared of camping, but with paranormal activity, you were scared of sleeping. And I think he's right. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, Maybe, scared of, maybe. And, and scared of your own house and your own kitchen and and you know mm. we that's that's i think and i think what i love so much about this movie aside from that it is to me in, in any way genuinely scary i loved the parallels with the exorcist which is my okay. other favorite demon de- demonic possession film because it really it, it follows kind of a similar pattern that with the possession it starts off with small things with sounds and I also thought it was an interesting parallel to the fact that the the haunting of Katie in in this movie started when she was a young woman, and it seemed to escalate when she hit uh, puberty, 12, 13 years old, which you and I have talked about in our episode on The Exorcist. So many of these these types of possessions and these these the how it's depicted in films, but also in real life, tends to focus around a young woman coming into puberty. It, sometimes it's a young man, but for the most part, these possessions seem to center around a young woman coming into her womanhood, for lack of a better way think, to put it. And do you think it comes back? Because then there is a gap, isn't there? And then yeah. is it because Katie's with Mika then, perhaps? So that's why there's a lot of this sexual allusion to him kind of saying, um, stri- you know, striptease and stuff. Mm-hmm. So it, it kind of starts off. And and I kind of felt like it was a war between Mika and the demon at some it point. It was, very Katie's much. Katie's body, right? So, um, and and the first, if we talk about the food moments, well, the first kind of moment is that Mika is making dinner in the kitchen. He's brandishing a knife around and he talks about the fact that he wants to capture paranormal phenomena and non-paranormal phenomena. And he seems like quite an old fashioned kind of guy. He's making, you know, some sexy jokes about her um, focusing about focusing on her feet and stuff like that. He's pretty gross, actually. But they hear some weird tapping around the fridge. And this is just a little amuse-bouche to throw us off course because it was the ice maker that was making this mm-hmm. this noise. But he objectifies her quite a lot. And we're led to believe initially that the video camera is more for the these sexy purposes. And at the same time, so we're getting the first sounds and uh, forms of rebellion from the demon. And I wonder if this is like a fight between them. Um, I, I never really thought of that. But when mm-hmm. perhaps we see it in, in, in that sense that they are kind of she is just something that they are uh, contending contenders for and the first night they are both they they both most certainly are um sources of toxicity in her life this poor woman she has spent her entire childhood trying to get away from this 
this demonic presence. And who does she end up with in her adult life? She ends up with a fellow demonic presence. And you think about what a toxic presence he really is, because as a as a boyfriend, as a lover, he's terrible. He 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 initially he's presented as being kind of a great guy. Look, he's cooking for her. But like you said, he objectifies her very much. And as time goes on and you start to see just how how much he doesn't respect her because she asks him over and over again, you know, please stop with the camera. And then she, I remember very specifically her telling him, don't get an Oisha board and his, his way around it. Oh, I didn't buy one. I borrowed one. I mean, what a, excuse my language. What a prick, what a fucking asshole he is. And it just, it, it reminds me so much of, of so many, it's just things I've seen in different films or even in, you know, a couple of relationships I've had where that really truly is, somebody showing their their lack of respect for you when you when you ask them to stop doing certain things or to stop exhibiting certain behavior and they purposely continue to do it that right there is the that's definition of of toxicity and it's kind of the same thing it's paralleled in in how the demon is you know she keeps saying you know she's i just want it to go away i just want it to go away and it, it it steps up its attacks on her but obviously the attacks on her are far you know they're instigated more and more by by mika just by he's 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 playing with it at this point he's he's egging it on he's saying come on that's all you have and he's he's making it worse like you could you could argue what happens in the end is is his is he's he's the one who basically does everything you know he's the one that that instigates everything he's the one that ultimately is the one that pushes that demon into taking her over he he kind of kills himself in a way yeah, that, I think you're right that there is something in their relationship that is definitely toxic. I don't remember feeling, at the time of viewing the film, I, I remember thinking he is a bit of an idiot, but I didn't see it as you know acutely as you're describing now, mm-hmm. that he actually is in many ways responsible because she is asking him not to film her mm-hmm. and she is asking him to stop and, and he doesn't really and he carries on and on. He obviously doesn't know the gravity of what he's getting himself into as well, so in some parts I did actually think oh that was quite brave of him he went to that room or he went to the toilet and kind of he he and you see him like pull apart pull 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 the shower curtain and you know mm-hmm. there could have been anything behind there and I think okay that was quite brave of you Mika but still we have this other side of him which isn't which is like yeah he's a complete idiot I think and- you could also argue that that shows a huge amount of, of stupidity as well I mean yeah I suppose it's brave but it's also incredibly stupid I mean if I heard something down the hall I wouldn't run and I'd I'd run I'd run the hell out of the house (laughs) I don't think he realizes how serious it is because he continues to say things like this is great material this is great stuff look we can look back and see this you know Mm -hmm. now we're going to put talcum powder on the floor which is one of my favorite scenes when he does that (laughs) and then you can see the hoofed um creature whatever the demon coming in and I think that's terrifying and you you see the footprints and you don't see them go out and I think that's like um, such an amazing idea Mm -hmm. um but the first kind of small food scene is apart from the one in the kitchen initially then is when it's morning time it's the first been the first night all we hear is footsteps now we don't hear anything else there's no big deal so it's an escalation as with Mm -hmm. most kind of supernatural things they start slowly so it's morning time and we as an audience have heard the footsteps. I don't know if they, they were aware. They were completely asleep. So yeah. when it's morning, um, Katie asks Miko if he wants scrambled eggs. And we have like a, a build up from that nice breakfast image of scrambled eggs to the fact that her keys, she notices that her keys are on the floor. And she says, 
at some point, just make your own breakfast. She doesn't want to eat anymore. And so we have this happening quite a lot where there is a mention of food or some some kind of trying to make something and then they just leave it. They're just exhausted. And even at this early stage, already we have this. So in the meantime, Katie's invited this psychic round and she tells him that when she was a child, she could see a mass at the foot of her bed. And from 13 years of age, these occurrences have happened periodically. Mm -hmm. So this is a demon that feeds off negative energy. And I love this idea of feeding the spirit and fueling and providing fuel to what is evil. And she doesn't really realize, I mean, she has had this experience when she was a child, but she doesn't know to what extent it's serious now. Mm -hmm. Same as Mika, like he doesn't know what's really what's going on. and so we have the introduction of this other person, which is Dr. Avery's, who never appears, but it's someone that the psychic suggests should come and see see them. And um, and then we have the whole thing about the Ouija board, which is an, mm-hmm. an invitation in. And we saw how that worked in The Exorcist as well, didn't we? Yeah. With, um, mm-hmm. with Regan. Have you ever played and with then, the Ouija board? Yeah, I would never do that. I don't no. mess around with that stuff. No, no. way. I've heard stories about that. You I've watched too many both. films, Vanessa. Ellie, you're preaching to the choir on that one. It's funny because uh, I, 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 I'd always, you know, it's you, you hear about these things and people always say, well, they only work if you believe in them. And I don't know if I believe in the other world or not, but I think it's very arrogant to say that these things don't exist. And I think there are plenty of things in this world we cannot explain. And yeah, why, why mess with something? Why play around with it? If, if Yes, I would never play with an Ouija board. It's crazy. We used to have slumber parties when I was young, occasionally with these friends of mine, and they always wanted to play with an Ouija board. And I was like, Mm-mm, y'all are crazy. No way. Not no. happening. Mm-hmm. I think so. it's a good idea just to avoid. We, let's watch things about it. Let's not do it ourselves. <laughs> Thank you. A, a wise thing to do. There's enough bad things in this world. We don't need to invite them in through an no, Ouija board. We play don't. with the time. Yeah, no absolutely with you on that so but it is interesting the way that the possession the the way that they are depicted like you said there's an escalation of things you know there's initially people one or two things you can you can explain them away it's knocking in the walls maybe it's a mouse things lights turning on you know maybe there's a short in the electrical system things like that and it's interesting how and i think in this movie as well how it's interspeared with these scenes of domesticity it's almost as though they're they're still trying to keep a grasp on what they can absolutely i was just about to say that because i was i was about to say you actually actually said it in the beginning as well we're mainly focused on what's inside the house i mean there is a, a scene when she arrives in the car which is outside and one of the scenes where she's kind of been possessed that she's outside in where the swimming pool is but apart from that they we don't see them outside of the yeah. the kind of home do we no. and so um the really, primary the primary scary scenes take place yeah. in the bedroom yes and the, the kitchen and you know so another really interesting thing I think are very representative of of a of a of a, of a lover or a, you know a, a partner relationship where do the where do the majority of, of interactions between people who are in a relationship take place they take place in the bedroom and they take place in the kitchen you're either in bed together doing whatever or you're sharing a meal or cooking together and that's very much how they are both portrayed in this movie but because mika is a bit of an idiot we also see him being quite intrusive (laughs) we also see him being quite intrusive when he when katie's in the toilet and actually, there are some re- a few moments where she's just in the toilet doing her thing, brushing her teeth, you know, whatever. And the same thing with the kitchen. These are moments, that, you know, there's spaces where 
you're doing your own thing and you get this Mika just coming in with his video camera and I'll just I had a question for you how many people how many oh just generally do people put deodorant on before going to bed um so Katie does that in the film and I'd just never seen that before totally irrelevant this isn't a film question it's more of a human (laughs) question it's like a human question I don't I'd never seen that before in a film or anywhere really so I just wondered if it was a thing that you know should I start doing that (laughs) (laughs) why not maybe it'll keep it maybe it'll keep the demons away Ali it didn't work for her though did it It no it did not but it didn't it didn't help it didn't help because she she really had two demons in that house with her she had a demon and fighting that she was not gonna ever get out of multiple fronts she was fighting um but that night the deodorant question goes i think some people do if they are prone to night sweats or if they sweat excessively uh i i don't but no yeah there, it's a, a so, question for the ages. If anyone let's see, out there, let's see a... if anyone replies and lets us know. We'll Please know if we get some know. weird, some weird armpit comments. So that night we have like some more noises, and the, as what you say, there is a beautiful escalation. So it's very small things. Now we don't just have the rumbling, we don't just have the footsteps. We also have a door that's slightly closing, and you know, and then we get some screaming. But we have another little amuse bouche. I don't know why I call it amuse bouche. It's not amuse bouche at all because we're doing like a, a little. About- because we're doing a podcast about food. A little moment because mm-hmm. actually she's screaming because of a spider. It's not anything to worry oh, yes. about. Well, I mean, unless you you really hate spiders. Um, and it's between 2 a.m., 3 a.m. We start getting the real jump scares because doors are banging. And Mika's egging the spirit on. He's saying things like, is this all you've got? And the more it, Mika is riled against the spirit, the more Katie is subdued. So we're shown fewer food moments as it becomes more about the demon being fed and obviously they are its meal so we get yes. kind of a, it's all a purport in proportion um and through the film and through the filming they're able to communicate also because they're able to actually see the weirdness that happens um on record as it intensifies and so it becomes more real you know they see in the video that the the lamp is moving and at this stage mika is still not taking anything seriously as i said you know, he says, wow, this is really great material. Um, and he's analyzing the sound and he can hear the low growling of something. And it's really eerie. Oh, by the way, have you seen a film called Smile? It's come out quite I've recently. Heard of it. I have not yet seen oh, it. Oh, there's a great list. jump scare where we have the pers- the poor woman who's persecuted by this supernatural character listens to some audio. And um, and then there's a really great jump scare. I thought it was good anyway. Um, so it's taking it to that audio thing to a different level. I love so, audio jump scares. That's that. I love it. Yeah. And they're kind of listening. And he's listening back to this. So, again, it's a form of com- opening that communication with the spirit. Mm-hmm. And then we're shifting really rapidly between day and night moments. And we're nearly halfway through the film. And this is when we see Katie is more and more involved and more and more possessed. She's standing over the bed for the first time for about two hours. Did you find that really creepy the way the time lapses for a long time? Yes. Oh, I, was, I thought that, that was, was very really good. It's very eerie because... I mean, obviously it's eerie because it's so unnatural, but it it ties in, I think, with that fear of of, of us being vulnerable when we sleep. Because we don't yes. know what happens when we're asleep. We, we think no. we know, but, we're, but we're, we're supposed to be in our safe space, in our home, in our beds. And But what better place to feel more safe and comfortable than at home, in your bed, asleep? And this movie takes that concept and completely flips it around and shows you that 
in your bed, in your home and in your bed is, is the least safe place in the world. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I just found it really creepy when she's just yeah. standing there. I remember still, and I still find that scary. And she's, anyway, she goes, so she's left the bedroom and Mika finds her outside. And we know something is wrong because she has no clothes on. It's freezing, but she does not feel the cold. Mm-hmm. So again, you know, we have things like food showing us when things change and also just body temperature and things to do with the body. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Mika is getting more and more upset He's shouting at the spirit. You know, he's a macho type of guy. So he's the owner. He's, you know, he says, this is my girlfriend. This is my house. How dare you? And then the TV static come, you know, that kind of weird static Mm -hmm. noise comes on. Mm -hmm. And so we get, and this is the moment where I thought, yeah, they are fighting over her because Mika's in control of the video camera. It's still always on, but the demon is in control of the TV now. So it was like the demon was sending Mika a message. It was like that we're both fighting over Katie. Katie remembers nothing about what happened when they look back at the video and watching it, as we said, probably makes things worse because they're reliving it and they're opening up the channel of communication again. And every really... time they and every time they watch it, it increases yeah. their agitation. And the demon again is feeding off of this agitation. Yes. It's being so you're right. Mika is whole is really responsible for this escalation. Yes. Um, and especially because of what happens with the Ouija board, which I didn't understand because he says that he thinks the Ouija board spells Diane when he's watching it, but apparently it spells Mika goodbye um so it was it felt like the demon was kind of beating him at his own game mm-hmm. because he's re-watching the video with, for information but it's giving him incorrect information oh, and yeah. actually he's probably he yeah I don't know I, I, I wasn't too sure because then Diane comes up as a name again when they where they go online and they see the story of that girl in the 60s that lived through a similar situation as Katie's um so I don't know about that name. Um, and, I don't know. You know. I think it was just another red herring. I, I think, yeah. and I also think it was it was designed to, uh, for us to to really bring it brings it home what a what a what an idiot Mika truly is. He, he, he's yeah. over I know he's trying to, to help, she, but it's not. I don't know. I think, and he's just, he's just an idiot. I, he's, he's, he's yeah. just a anyway. But no, and yes. also, and it's also I think designed to. To also to to keep throwing them off course because he, it's Mika over here trying to make all of these interpretations about something that he he has no clue what it is. Oh well, it's trying to tell us that we need to contact this Diane and and we need to, it means that we should not get an exorcist. Um. Oh my God. And he just keeps on with the like we're not calling yeah. an exorcist. We're not calling a demonologist. It's going to make it worse. Yeah. Who makes it worse? Mika, you dipshit. Oh, he does. <laughs> Katie's so angry. I think she's angrier than you know. She might be even angrier than you, Vanessa, at Mika. <laughs> but she's so she's shouting. But she's carrying on with her everyday basic activities as best as she can. So we often see her in the kitchen because she needs to carry on. Obviously, eating. Mm-hmm. We need to carry on eating. This forms the basis of their communication. So even when they are angry with each other, she's asking Mika things like, "Do we have a lemon?" You know, she's opening the fridge. And at this point, I'm feeling having a bit tea, having her coffee, trying, yeah, to, so, trying to hold on to those last vestiges of of normality, trying to, yeah. I think that, and and her humanity in a lot of ways. I think you know these these food scenes, and particularly for Katie, you know, drinking her green tea when she's talking with her friend, looking for a lemon. These are ways that she's trying very hard to hold on to her what's left of her humanity. You kind of Absolutely. just her, her humanity is being it's being eaten out of her a little bit at a time. 
to, to yes. further that, yes. that food analogy, yes. that demon continues to feed on her and it's being nourished by her, by her terror, by just everything that Mika is doing. And it continues, like you made a good point earlier. You said, mm. you know, they, they, their, their consumption decreases as the consumption of the demon increases. Hello? Look, I know you're pissed, but... Lemon. Kind of a turning point, both in act and, and the and the food stuff now, because, and this is the thing I said, yes, attack and power scene, I find really tying. It's very and scary. After that, and they kind of both wake up, they see the... It's so scary. They see the footprints and then Mika shouts, this is my house, my girlfriend, I'm going to solve the problem. So, you know, caveman Mika comes out. Mika, don't come on. Show yourself. Come on, Mika, let's go. And then he goes <laughs> and he goes into kind of the attic territory and it's an attic scene, which is unusual in the sense that normally if you go up to the attic, I remember watching Host um, recently, or I say recently, mm -hmm. like in the kind of the last year or so. And, you know, there's, you always see the foot kind of hanging in, or something happening or something falls in the attic. But here he doesn't see anything apart from that he finds this picture mm -hmm. of Katie as a child and it's slightly burnt. So there's no jump scare there. And I think also with the curtain scene, there's no jump scare where you would expect it. So I like that about this film. Mm -hmm. And he finds picture of Katie and up until now Katie's been definitely grumpy about Mika and videoing things now she's really angry she's like mm -hmm. why are you filming me I'm just making a coffee she does not want him around she doesn't want him even in the shared spaces where she would have been tolerant of his presence before like the kitchen mm -hmm. so she wants to bring in Dr. Avery's mm -hmm. and you know fight this demon but he's not available and the footsteps as we said, we're going into the room, not out. You know, it's very clear that something mega is happening here. And that's when we get like the last kind of food scene, which is when they're eating some sort of takeaway. Um, by now they're exhausted. They're eating with their heads in their hands. They're eating from containers. Mm -hmm. And we don't have Mika in the kitchen cooking or Katie offering to make any, you know, the bags of food are on the counter. Yeah, while they're, the not putting, they're not, they're not putting like, anything on a platter. They're not putting, no, they're not eating. This is like, I mean, I'm not saying it's not, you Basic can't do that, survival. but it is a low food moment when, you know, it's a low food, food moment for them. And that's when they hear this big bump. And, yeah. and then... Well, it's, you know, it's we the first this. time that something has happened during the day. Generally, these, these paranormal activities has happened at night when they're asleep, when, when they're yes. their most vulnerable. And I think it's a really fascinating depiction of the escalation of the demon because the demon is basically showing them at this point he's taken over he doesn't have to run around the house at night and scare them anymore he he has control at that point yeah and it's interesting Something. that it takes it and it's interesting that that takes place in a moment when they are having their sort of proverbial last meal it's the last supper because yes. it, it, it really is, is. their last meal a little and they bit look of so twist on the uh the uh, Christian concept of the the Last Supper, in this sense, it's it's very much the Last Supper, and they are the they are both going to be the sacrificial lambs on the on the altar of this demon, are they not? They are. They also look so sad, and then the psychic comes back, doesn't he? And he's terrified, and we get this huge shot. How big is their TV? Their TV is like huge in mm -hmm. that room, and we see that, and then Doc, and then 
the psychic comes back, but he leaves almost immediately. He says, look, I'm not the right person. I think I'm making things worse. And we have a real sense of loneliness. And then you hear this knocking. And I just asked myself, why does this demon keep knocking when the demon, I mean, the demon's already in. So is he knocking to kind of mock them? Is it a mocking knocking? Is it a knocking? That it's, is a mocking it's a knocking mocking. There's <laughs> always three knocks. And it yes. just seems like, you know, but maybe even though the demon's in already, it's just still kind of taunting them. I don't know. Well, I mean, and... there's, a, there's a real symbolism in the number three. I mean, the, the number three is, is very connected to the paranormal. I, I think any kind of study of numerology is going to show that. Uh, tying back into what we were talking about before with the connection, that, that connection to Christianity and the Last Supper. I mean, there's the concept of the, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So I think in a very much, it is very much meant to be kind of a mockery as well yes things bad things good things come in threes bad things come in threes so yeah and often it's it's like 3 a.m isn't it when things happen yes kind of between 1 30 and 4 a.m but 3 a.m is when things kind of escalate a bit more Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and um and then katie is dragged from the bed that last night and telling you kind of pulled down and it's this people should not leave People should not leave their foot outside of the blankets when they sleep. Never. I'm telling you, never. That you're, you you want to get dragged down the hall by a demon? Go to bed with your foot sticking out of the blanket, and it'll happen. I agree. Mm-hmm. Oh. No, and she's in, no. you know, and she's been bitten this time. So they decide to leave. Mika's packed the car. That's it. They're going to go now. And I thought, yes, get out of there. But then the psychic had always said, "It's going to follow you." So there's no point leaving. Is in her, isn't it? It's got it's something that's attached to her, but she isn't really herself. She's definitely not herself anymore. She's clutching a crucifix so hard that it's actually drawing blood, and Mika has to prise it out from her fingers. And Katie has decided she doesn't want to leave now. Well, you Mika, know, at that point, you know, she's been taken over because she's been the taken. camera lingers on her face, yes, and it shows this little. And, and she says in this really weird voice. I think everything's going to be all right now. And then the camera just shows this little smile. Ooh, creepy. But no, this is something I hadn't realized, I think, uh, the first few times that I watched this film. But when she says, I think we'll be okay now, and she's lying in the bed, there are two voices speaking. Yeah. So there's like a, and I hadn't really, I don't think I paid attention to that before. Mm-hmm. Very eerie. I loved it. So there's something inside of her. I so caught this is that the second now. time around too, because I was watching it. And I had headphones, and so I think that was part of it is because I was able to hear a lot more of just the <clears throat> like the more quiet subliminal stuff. When I heard it in the theater, I don't remember the humming. And I really think like le- the audio experience of listening listening to it through really good headset, to me that was much more scary. You got a lot more of the of the eerie sound effects. Yeah. And that's when I no, thought that was that two those two voices they were speaking at the end. That that freaked me out. Yeah, that was that's always freaky. I love that. Yes. And then she's, you know, we have this extremely creepy scene of her standing over the bed. It's 1.27 a.m. This is night number 21 now. And that's it. Mika's done for. She moves over to the side of the bed where Mika is. And she's there a couple of hours and then goes downstairs. It's 3.15 when Katie screams for Mika and he just runs down the stairs. And he runs down to his death, basically. And then he gets thrown as an ultimate kind of hatred hatred for the video camera. She throws him at the video camera, which falls. And then Katie kind of smiles at that camera in a very, very unsettling way. 
And, so, and then her face transforms into a demon and she la- launches herself yes. at the camera and that's it. That's it. And it's that's entered into our paranormal home. activity for you, kids. <laughs> this curry scene in there, like, and in Jack Sparks, there's a quite a good curry scene as well. What is going on with, and in The Exorcist, what is mm-hmm. going on with curry? Vanessa? Yes, curry, curry and the devil seem to, to have a real connection, mm. don't they? We, we were trying to figure out what would be a good companion book for Paranormal Activity, and we both decided that it would be a good idea to do the book that we're going to talk about next in the episode, and it's called The Last Days of Jack Sparks, and it's written by a wonderful author named Jason Arnop. Jason, if you're listening, love your books, man. You rock. Want to be a guest on the show? Anyway, Jack Sparks. So obviously, the book titled The Last Days of Jack Sparks, you kind of already know what's going to happen. The basic premise of the book is there is a social media influencer by the name of Jack Sparks, and he is known for doing some rather extreme things in the name of getting more follows on social media. He basically traveled the length of uh, England on a pogo stick. He purposely got addicted to drugs to just to see what it was like, and then he decides he wants to go to an exorcism. Just just to see what it's like. So he his, his entire life is basically lived online. He he lives for likes on Twitter, follows on Facebook. He, he lives for Instagram. I mean, his entire, he uploads literally everything he eats to his social media feed. I mean, that doesn't sound familiar to any of us, does it? Not me. I don't do that. So uh, basically he attends this exorcism in Italy and he's mocking it the entire time. He doesn't believe in it. He's laughing. And that's basically what happens. He laughs at this exorcism. And his life begins to disintegrate from that point on. And you are never sure if he, it's disintegrating because of him, because of his very destructive tendencies that he has, or if he is indeed being haunted by a demon. And and so it's a really, really fascinating book. It, it gets really in-depth in, into the just the the overall concept of social media. And what I thought was interesting about this book, and I I love the parallels between this book and Paranormal Activity, is that it really takes that idea of kind of living your life on camera. And if it's not recorded, it didn't happen. And that, you know, that's a very strong premise within Paranormal Activity because that camera and and that video evidence is, is, that's what it is. It's like literally the only evidence that they have that these things are happening while they're asleep. Whereas Jack Sparks, his his entire concept of existence, he wouldn't have a sense of himself if he didn't live his life online. So, no. yes. And so the haunting of Jack, or the, the last days of Jack Sparks proceeds to follow him as he goes and tries to figure out what is going on, what's haunting him. He, he puts a video. It's funny. He's coming back from Italy where he sees this, this uh, possession take place. He uploads a video and this video mysteriously disappears and it kind of just goes from there. His, his life is he's being terrified by this video that he has found that shows it basically shows a genuine supernormal, supernormal, <laughs> supernatural event that's it's described in these very, very terms. Right. And the, the book is him basically trying to figure out where this film comes from. He gets involved with these different characters throughout the book he 
ends up going to Asia to try and, and you know, get somebody to help him with this haunting. Um, oh, yeah, there's all... a place where he goes on a boat, doesn't he? Is he in, in Shanghai? No, yeah. where is he? Yeah, uh, it's, um, is it Hong Kong? Is it Hong Kong? Yeah. yeah. And so, so essentially, the book, you know, the book basically tells the story of, of his ongoing search to find the, the, re- the source of this video that continues to haunt him. He try, he's also trying to figure out, am I being haunted by a demon? Am I being gradually possessed? Yeah. And um, come to, th- come to I, find out, yeah. Yeah, I just think this, this one was interesting with the, mm-hmm. the, he talks about the gaps in science. And I think it's interesting because with technology, we think that we can solve or document some gaps because... If we if we can catch it on camera, then it must be real. But then that isn't always the case, is it? And yeah. things disappear, and things, and it's our interpretation of the event. So mm-hmm. I think this was a good take on that kind of um, yeah. idea as well. But I thought it was well, a really good book because it's also very self-referential. It's it's very meta in a lot of ways. You know, he references. We were talking about the Blair Witch Project earlier when we were talking about paranormal activity. Like in the book, Jack Sparks meets up with the two directors of the Blair Witch Project. And he's trying to get their take on, like, he thinks that they are the ones who are responsible for making this this weird video. And they're like, no, this wasn't us. What are you talking about, dude? As I pull up a chair, Eduardo Sanchez, Daniel Myrick, and four colleagues jolt, checking my hands for weaponry. They look surprised and somewhat affronted. But quite frankly, if they didn't want anyone to know in which Melrose Avenue cafe they were having this development meeting, they shouldn't have publicly posted a shot of the menu. Upon seeing that post, I shrugged off the hangover and motored straight here. After all, Sanchez and Myrick created a great horror film which convinced millions that three student filmmakers really did go missing in the woods of Burkittsville, Maryland. Who else could possibly be my number one suspects in the great YouTube video mystery. But I just, it, this book fascinated me for many reasons because I, I do think that the concept of living our lives online is a very interesting one. You know, it, we all, we, we pretty much do all, all live our lives online to a certain extent at this point, whether it's just having an Instagram account and following other people or uploading pictures of your food, which I'll be the first one to say I'm guilty of that. That's kind of my that's kind of my entire uh, online persona is uploading pictures of food. But I just I love how it played with this concept of reality and Jack Sparks and in, in, again particularly specific to him living his life through social media. And if it didn't happen, if it's not on social media, it didn't happen. There's a scene where he. Uh, it's where he goes to Hong Kong to find the basically the the exorcist that's going to help him with this demon, and he sits down to a lunch of curry. My fresh green curry looks exquisite when I photograph it for my followers, but I'm finding it hard to eat. In my defense, the last three nights have been big. I barely slept. Last night alone, I ventured off the beaten track in the party district of Wan Chai. On those narrower, darker, and more intriguing streets where market stalls were locked up for the night, I found bars and people dedicated to the pursuit of oblivion. I dimly recall onlookers whistling as tequila and triple sec were poured straight from the bottles into my mouth, all to a Gangnam-style soundtrack. Hence the cold sweat horrors that cling to me today. 
And that was one of my, it was a great food scene because, you know, he doesn't talk about, oh, this curry looks so good because, you know, I love curry. His first thing is like, oh, oh, I upload a picture of the curry. And he talks about how many people like it on social media. And it also struck me because of the fact that the opening scene of uh, Paranormal Activity, the first food reference is Mika and Katie eating. What are they eating? Curry. Yeah. And then remember the party scene in The Exorcist? Yeah. What are they eating there? Yeah, it's curry. Yeah. I think the devil likes curry, Ellie. What do you think? I I, I, I think, think it's the, the symbol of something. Um, it's a symbol of something that it's it's both. I'm not sure about the exorcist because we mentioned this, didn't we? That we didn't, yes. you know, now it's associated with a food that is kind of, you know, a takeaway. It's not something, it's something that is very elaborate if you're making it yourself. But most of the time you're having a takeaway. So it is still something where, you know, it tastes it tastes great and it, there is an effort in it, but it's not your effort. It's not something that you, you're doing, mm-hmm. um, if that makes sense. Yes. Um, so there is some kind of, okay, it's an elaborate meal, but, you know, it's not eggs on toast yet, but we're getting there kind of thing. <laughs> it's like it's the beginning of something that's changing. Um, you know, it's not a pizza, which is literally delivered to you and then you eat it from the box. But we're getting there in terms of like the symbology of that quick, um, that quicker kind of way of eating and not not putting personal effort in. Um, But there is, you know, and there's a class judgment as well of what food is eaten. And especially with Jack, Mm -hmm. he's obviously judging people through what they eat. And so there's this scene where I don't think it's the same one, but he says that no, because this one they're eating, actually they're eating a burger and they, and he's observing Astral and how she orders food and he thinks that speaks of high maintenance. So the way people order food as well can tell us a lot about how they perceive Mm -hmm. themselves or want to be perceived. And then uh, instead for him, the focus is on his mouth, which is described as a heinous washing machine. The way Astral orders food speaks of high maintenance. When it arrives, we're talking about my spooks list, and I show him how it currently looks. I cannot believe, he says, his mouth a heinous washing machine full of mashed bread, beef, cheese, and pickle, that you don't have a fourth entry on that list, not even the possibility that ghosts are real. I shrug a big so what. He snorts and takes another bite before he swallowed his first. Man, so you don't think ghosts are, are even possible? Mm-hmm. So he obviously doesn't care. He's eating huge burgers. Yes. Um, he's, you know, and in a sense, this is him, like, not looking after himself. And we know that he does drugs and mm-hmm. he drinks a lot and he's, you know, he's... Uh, Massive he's, drug use and cocaine. And, yeah. Well, and he's, I mean, I think he's also the quintessential unreliable narrator because he has, he's constructed this entire uh, persona based around these books and this pres- this presence that he presents to the world. And like you, you made a very good point when he's talking about Astral eating the hamburger and he, he's making a judgment on Astral. But really, you know, you think about it and you think about his how just he's he's so snarky and he's just so unbelievable. And like everything that he says ends up being a judgment. It, it's a it's basically a reference back to himself and, and how he sees the world, even the way he judges people for what they eat and how they eat it. It's it's, it's like, mm. yeah, okay there, Jack Sparks. You're Yeah, and you'll be, you know, if you're posting things about menus and you're posting mm-hmm. pictures, of, you're showing where you are, you're showing what the food available is, you're out. So that means you have enough 
money to be eating out so it says yeah. a lot about you as a person you know it's and it's normally positive things you know so depending on where you are but you know who this character reminded me of have you ever read the dice man by luke reinhardt no i haven't oh okay yeah it just reminded me but he's an unpleasant character isn't he would you say or <laughs> did you find him kind of i like that I thought, he's unpleasant he's just himself was um i thought he was extremely funny um i love his snarkiness uh, like I said, he's he's quintessential unreliable narrator. I what I what I loved about how Jason Arnob wrote this character is that you find out halfway through the book that Jack Sparks is is gaslighting everybody, including himself. He has a friend named mm-hmm. Bex who he keeps yes. saying that he's in love with. Yes. He's not in love with her. He he keeps her around basically so she, so she she can fulfill certain a certain role that he has put into this persona of himself online. But it's done in such a clever way. It's very shocking. You know, you realize at the end, like you know, he, mm. Jack is not who you think he is. Bex is not who you think how, who you think she is. Um, there's a, an interesting subplot in the book that's told by Jack's brother because this book is basically presented as. Obviously, the last days of Jack Sparks, you know he's dead at the very beginning of the book. That's not a spoiler. But you come to also realize how much of the damage that was done to Jack as a child and why he is the way he is, is because of his brother. And his brother is another, you know, his brother is sort of, it's it's kind of the... Is that Alistair? Yes, his his horrible brother also. And then also, what a horrible name, Alistair. I hate that name. Maybe, I thought it was a very nice little wink, wink, nod, nod reference to Alistair Crowley. My brother's called Alistair. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. joking. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Manny. He's oh, sorry. Manny. I was like, sorry, Danny. I've never met you. Sorry. If I meet you in person, can I call you Alistair? <laughs> that's scary as well because he's not who he thinks he is. And that's, is that yeah. how we become on social media? We don't know who we are anymore. That's the whole point of it, though, is like we, the person that we are on social media. I mean, think about something as simple as we post a selfie. Well, how many times do we go? How many selfies do we take? And we all, everybody says, oh, I have to, I have to approve the selfie. And it's almost always women because, you know, it's about mm. parents and stuff like that. But what's interesting about it is that Jack Sparks is as, as looks obsessed and he's very obsessed with with how he comes across in pictures on social media as any self-absorbed person on yes. on, on Instagram or, or Facebook or Twitter that, that I've ever known. So I felt that he was a very realistic character. I thought he was a little too on point. Um, there were things that he did that made me uncomfortable because I, I was like, oh, I caught myself doing that on social media before. So I think that's hard, what it? is such yeah. an what's so effective about this book. And he's he's such an unlikable character in so many ways. But to me, he's very representative of just this the mindset that many of us find ourselves in nowadays living in a in a world of social media. If you don't if what's the saying? Picks or it didn't happen. I mean I think that's yeah. the perfect description of of life now in this yes. world if if it if you didn't take a picture of it if it's not on facebook if it's not on instagram if you, you didn't have a video on tiktok of it it didn't happen and it documents something doesn't it and also in the world that we live today look you're in america i'm in i'm in england whatever like i have family all over the world it's also a way that you just keep in touch it's, we don't you know there is there is a kind of sense of um distance but also with this kind of media you kind of do feel a bit close and I remember Ed Sheeran in an interview said well if you're taking selfies of yourself there is something wrong with you and I thought hang on a minute 
I don't know because, and that's coming from a performer, by the way, who is showing himself. In I was going to show ourselves. It, we all need to. I'm not saying I'm not criticizing him. That's his opinion. That's fine. I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with someone who does that. It's a way of being in touch. And but when it, it does, it cross a line, and we see with Jack Sparks where you then lose sight of who you are in many ways because it just becomes an online world. <laughs> there's more online than in not online anymore so um yeah it's something to I think that that's what awakened the book awakened these kind of unsettling feelings of perhaps detachment from oneself when you when you present yourself in a certain way and there is a kind of um desire to keep up with that that goes beyond then real life and your real circle of people that you don't obviously not sending selfies I'm not sending selfies to my daughter she's with me so there is you know that to consider that there is a limit that can be crossed Mm -hmm. exactly exactly I I also thought it was what I thought was such a great way to use food in this book is I love the way that it's used as sort of a as a tool for recovery after Jack has gone on one of his benders you know what we were saying before he's so he's such a classically unreliable narrator he's so toxic he's he's so judgmental uh but I do love how, how snarky he is but he's just so he's just so damaged and he's so he's such an addict he's such a horrible alcoholic he's such a terrible drug yes. addict and he when he's he's on his bender in Los Angeles with his friend Bex and there's some there's scenes talking about them eating cheese sandwiches and and washing it down with cocoa and you know he gets up the next day and does it again and it's like, like his food is is almost like a tool for him kind of similar to paranormal activity it's a tool for him to try and reestablish kind of reality and who he is mm. trying to kind of get back to the real who real Jack Sparks he's trying to use it it's, it's used as a tool for him to try and find himself again. He's, he's, you know, he's leaving the excesses of his drugs and alcohol the night before in the past. He's trying to reassert his humanity such as it is. And I, I thought that that was a really interesting way to utilize it because the focus could have been solely on just him being a drunk and a cocaine addict. But mm. it, it, to me, it almost represents a sense of him sort of in a way, a little bit trying to be a better person trying to sort of get yeah. back to like sort of that yes the humanity of him but you know he's he's obviously a very different person when he goes on these these alcohol and cocaine fueled benders and he does yes. he doesn't remember and then the next day he's like he's trying to sort of get back to the the real jack sparks and by eating these very ordinary boring things like a grilled cheese sandwich or like a cup of cocoa which but i listen, really, every I really time- appreciated Every time he picks up a steak knife, I don't feel right. I don't like it. <laughs> like, I don't oh, want to be. You know, there's a guy. little foreshadowing for the end there. So, <laughs> so basically, what I've loved about the, the, the little twist of the book, and again, I'm going to spoil the book for y'all. You had some, you, you had a few years to read it. So, I'm going to. We don't know how many, but we did, you did have a few. So, the, the basically, the video that he. The scary video that ends up being uploaded in the beginning of the book that is sort of the beginning of this great search of his the video shows a body in a basement somewhere and there are these floating ghostly feet and it, the way it's described sounds scary That's so scary it so scary terrifying wasn't it it was and come to find out it's it's like a time loop and and the way i'm describing it is does not do it justice at all because that's why i say you should read the book um so basically the video is of him in a basement record he's the one who's recording because he's trying to go and find evidence of this demonic possession so it's him recording it and then uploading it 
it, it's it, I'm not describing it well, but it's basically him doing this in he's reacting to something he's done in the future. And it's the result of this demon that 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 he was he was he attended the exorcism in, in Italy. He laughed mm-hmm. because he didn't believe in it. And this demon proceeds to basically torment his life and and kind of gives him the opportunity to kind of go back and, and try and fix things. But of course, we all know that that never works out. You know, a gift yeah. from a demon is still a gift from a demon. There's always going to be a, a kicker. There's always going to be a, a price to yeah. be paid. It's interesting, the circularity of time. And it's something that recently in films, they've well, not so recently, the others, for example, where you get, you know, who is the real ghost? In that sense, Jack, uh, Jack Sparks was already a, a ghost. He was already dead before we knew it. So that's a good twist in that sense, isn't it? Yes. It's very interesting. I loved it. Um, I just it, It's one of my favorite books. I um, I know you didn't much care for it, Ali. Sorry. <laughs> no, I did. I did. I just felt quite... I don't know why. I think maybe I need to read it again. Um, there were some very scary moments. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was my style of book, that's all. Sometimes yeah. it happens, but I yeah. like the idea and there were many things I did like about it. Mm-hmm. There were some very, I think, I think you hit the nail on the head with it. It's not, a, it's not a, like a typical horror story in that it's terrifying all the way through. I think that, I think a lot of the horror is simply the horror of watching the, the disintegration of this, this person. It's he, more a psychological, that's the thing. Like I, it seemed quite yeah. real to me. That's why I compared it to the Dice Man. Um, and you know this kind of horror I like horror that I am too scared to go to the toilet in the middle of the night kind of horror (laughs) I know I know well I mean kind of like paranormal activity you know you hear those bumps downstairs in the middle of the night or you hear something behind the shower curtain you know you're not not stupid like Mika you're not gonna go chasing after it and finding out what it is you're like I'm I'm out of here (laughs) <laughs> which is such a funny it's a funny conceit in horror films that you always tend to see and, and often in books as well where you tend to see these characters doing the most stupid things like you were talking about That's the attic brave. Scene, the yeah. attic scene in paranormal activity like the attic scene or it's either an attic or a basement yeah you know something bad is going to happen and these fools in these movies, what do they do? They climb up on a ladder and go into the attic and get their head chopped off, or they run down the stairs like an idiot down to the basement and get get killed. So yeah, yeah. but the social media aspect as well as like videoing and you know video camera, and even with more recent things like if you watch true crime documentaries, the CCTV images, those are very creepy as well. Those are very unsettling as well because you see, oh, this was the last time that we saw so-and-so on this side of the street and then that was it. They mm-hmm. disappeared forever. Yeah, And, you know, that's the CCTV side of things now because we're completely surrounded, which wasn't the case like 10, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. So that's also like a new dimension that adds on, on. on yeah, I wonder if there are any horror films with CCTV that would be that would role. be something really pretty is that something quite topical now yeah well and it, i mean it, it, it ties in very much with these reality tv shows about ghost hunters and there's so many ghost hunting shows and on, apps. On, in, in... You can download an app and kind of do things with it and then yeah you can, you can download an evp app for your phone you can you know see how many ghosts are running. i actually did it one time just because i was curious and i freaked myself out so i was like there's a ghost here. There's, and I'll like, no, I'd do that I, if we were together. I'm ghost. not doing that on my own. <laughs> right? Uh, yeah. It's like playing with an Ouija board. You know, it's the same kind exactly. of thing. Hey, maybe one of these days on our, we should do like a an episode where we play with an Ouija board on the episode. No, no I'm hell. I'm not freaking, doing that. Hell freaking no. Doing... Neither am I. I'm... Well, 
All this talk of demons and curry has made me very hungry, so I'm going to combine food elements from both Paranormal Activity and The Last Days of Jack Sparks and make a delicious lemon curry. I'll post my recipe and photos on our social media pages, the links for which can be found in our show notes. On one of the worst nights for Katie and Mika, they can hear three knocks in the dead of night, and it's normally between 1 and 3 a.m., and as we know, it's the devil mocking the Holy Trinity. But let's rewind to the first day that they're together and happy in their new home, and Katie offers to make Mika some scrambled eggs. She doesn't in the end, but I'll make the recipe for her, and in order to make it, you must crack the egg three times on the side of your bowl. Many thanks to the handsome, intelligent, witty, and occasionally crabby Giovanni Franceschini, who read the book passages for today's episode. Giovanni's writings can be found on his website, which is www.cookingwithtono.com, a link to which can also be found in our show notes. That's it for this week's episode. Thanks for listening, and make sure to tune in for our next episode coming to you in two weeks. As always, Stay spooky. What's that like to live deliciously?